0: What a glorious afternoon. I say glorious advisedly. Yesterday's session was at the very peak of the pouring rain. And the seven of you who showed up are true aficionados of the art. You arrived drenched and listened to a fascinating conversation. There'll be an even more fascinating one this afternoon for those of you who are lovers of the warm weather. My name's Tom Wright. I grew up on Boon Wurrung land. This is the festival forum. We meet today, obviously, here at Gregata's on the banks of the Torrens and Ghana Yada traditional lands of the Ghana people, whose ongoing custodianship of the land we acknowledge and respect. This has been for thousands of years a site of ritual, of song, and most pertinently perhaps of dance, and in our modest way we continue that tradition and pay our respects. Joining me today to discuss his remarkable work, *Wojung Not the Past, is Stephen Page. Thank you for being here, Stephen. Thank you. Stephen's a descendant of the Nunnakal people of the Munul Jali clan of the U- Yugambeh nation of southeast Queensland. His film Spear is screened in art festivals around the world. He's co directed and choreographed documentaries such as Freeman, choreographed the film Brand New Day in 2009, and The Sapphires in 2011. Here in Adelaide, we value him particularly for his sterling work when he came in in 2004 to direct the festival under difficult circumstances for which you have the keys to the city, Stephen. We remember, <laughs> even 18 years on, thank you for your service there. Um, Stephen has been Artistic Director of Bangara for 932 years. <laughs> Sorry, 32 years. 32. <laughs> and has developed a signature body of works that have become milestones in the Australian performing arts. He directed the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games opening and closing ceremonies and the 2018 Commonwealth Games opening ceremony. He's choreographed over 30 works for Bangara. Ochres, Wrights, Fish, Boomerang, these are salutary works in our history. Uh, the Helpman award-winning work Along* was recent, in 2017. And in December last year, he announced that he was stepping down from his role as artistic director at Bangara, making Wujung Not the Past, his final creation with Bangara as artistic director. Uh, Stephen, thank you for being here. More importantly, thank you for pr- bringing your work to the Festival okay. Centre. Um, how many people here have seen it so far? Just a raise of hands. All right, let's make the assumption that we can talk about it and there's no need to worry about spoilers. We're, everybody listening here or listening online, we all know what we're talking about, so you don't need to be coy. Okay. Let's start with a key question. This is in language. What's your philosophy of using language? In, not, not just in your language, in a whole range of language, but what's your philosophy of it?
1: Well, using language that um, doesn't use subtitles or subtitles. Um, I think for me, I mean, this work in particular, I've... The reconnecting of language, I suppose, just put that aside for a minute, but I've always worked with um, breathing a fresh perspective with... First Nations language and <clears throat> probably happened when I was um, in college, really. Like, well, I was at the Aboriginal Island Dance Theatre, which is now called NASDA. It's the National Aboriginal Islander Skills Development Scheme. I think it needs some face, fancy academic name to get funding. Um, anyway, uh, that college yeah, changed my life at 16 because it was a college where all black came from all over the country and whether you were suppressed or you were assimilated grounds or urban or you came from rural traditional grounds or... So everyone was navigating and entering in of their identity. It was like this wonderful dysfunctional university for mob to sort of find who they were or their identity through this creation of performing arts and music. And so with dance... uh, Language was just in all our teachings, I suppose, and our learnings. And so it always hung with me. And so the day I thought I could... You know, I've watched my mum and dad for years tell stories of what they were forbidden from and, yeah, just watch them how they carried trauma and then watch them, before they died, how they owned the trauma. And that was only because my father spoke language on his deathbed and it was something that he hadn't spoke since he was a seven-year-old boy with his mother under a tree, what they used to call sacred, secret language. Um, anyway, and it was just sort of an inspiration of that with my brother David, before David passed away. My father died in 2010, yeah, and so David passed away 2016. And between those six years, David had written this four-minute song that was the language my father spoke. Anyway, that became... Um, ..that became the seed, actually, for the Commonwealth Games program, yeah. which is 2018, because that song turned into a 12-minute ceremonial piece for 100 elders over 60 that all put up their hand because they all wanted to dance like Bangarra. Um, I told them, I can give them a fast, sort of a quick fix of that. Um, oh, it was fun too, because they worked with about 100 Yugambeh kids between 13 and 17. So there's this beautiful layer of generations. And then Bangara dances with me. We taught them this shorthand language of what we know and connected them. This sort of like rekindling, sort of gathering. And um, they would never put on ochre and Anyway, they were learning language and the song inspired and then we got the yellow ochre for women and the red ochre for men and we went out on certain... Um, they went out and got the gatherings of the ochre from the fresh water and the salt water. And my nephew, my cousin-nephew, it's a bit confusing in my family kinship system, there's so many of us, he was a bird wrangler at Corumban Bird Sanctuary and he was looking after the witch-tailed eagle and that was our totem of that clan and so... He rang me after two weeks, knowing that I was having these sacred meetings <laughs> with these 100 Elders. Everyone thought I was doing this big sovereignty treaty-like gathering, like we were, we were going to go and reclaim some land and walk down to Canberra. But it was um, a different way, a political gesture, and a different way of reconnecting. And anyway, he brought me in this blue sort of shopping bag, all these wedge eagle feathers, and then that became... A practice that we got some stringing rope, and then they all wanted them as waist belts and hair belts. And it just, anyway, it just all started to unfold. And I thought my brother and David were sort of with me. And then it, and then sort of Wujang just sort of grew from that. Wesley said, Oh, my last festival, come on, let's get some money from the government. They all need to take responsibility. You need to do an operatic work. And I went, Oh, great. I could probably go home and start, you know, getting this language and let's expand it to this contemporary ceremony. Yeah. God, I went the longest array around the bush for that response. But that's okay. You, um, already, th- you already think that I've been to the bush, hey? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you've, you've, you've you've done one of your full sacred circles there. Um, uh, it's, you've already mentioned, David, but of course your sister's involved, at least in this one, in yeah. terms of custodian, of, specifically of language, both at the time of the Commonwealth Games and in this show. It must be very moving to actually hear... I'm talking about spoken language, not just yeah. the, the dance language. Obviously, I appreciate that the two meld very closely yeah. for you. But I'm talking here about... It's taken you a while in your body of work over those 32 years to come around to yeah. the language of your father's mould um is this a, an act of closure in a way or is this an act of opening up
1: i think it's both it's almost a full cycle sensibility really like you sort of it's closure but it's also opening a new beginning for me yeah i just like to hope to think that i'm always learning till the day i die you know like i'm always being inspired and and i know it's hard in this day and age to you know if you just the constant motivation of just feeling optimistic and feeling that sense of hope in the world. Um, I don't know. I draw to that sort of energy quite a lot and it's a big part and seed to the, w- the way I create works, yeah.
0: Optimistic, you might you are and you might be, but it's fair to say that Wujung is a pretty um, scarifying experience mm. to sit through, to... Um, uh, many artists start their career by telling the story of themselves, where they've come from, their mob and mm. their story. You've almost come... You've taken the long, long way around again to get <laughs> there. Why return back to specifically Yogan stories now?
1: I just felt it was the right time. I knew I... I said say to David quite a lot, I, I think by the end of this journey with Bangara. And I'm always like, you look at Western time, and I know um, (laughs) that cycle of time versus, you know, people say to me, oh, what's Blackfella time? And I said, well, it's interesting because I'm still sort of navigating through that. And um, yeah, I think David was ready before I was to tackle the story from home. And and I think that's because he was locked down as a one-man band in his studio composing. Whereas I would always have, you know, 17 dancers in front of me and directing them. And and why I'm saying this is, I think he probably has to deal with his own sort of, you know, self and his his talent, his artist sort of ego and and all those things. And I forgot how much you know he did about 30, you know, 30 compositions through his whole career. And I noticed as we were getting to about I don't know two decades in, he'd be like, I think I'm ready to go home and tell a story. You know, we need to go home and do a workshop and stuff. And I just... I don't know, I just kept getting distracted. Like, people said to me, because, you know, you're a major performing arts company and you've got to do these, you know, plans ahead. And people say, oh, you know, you're doing one work a year and for us it's a work has to be at least 80% good because it's got to then go to that, you know, regional programming and then... You know, so it was always spitting out these works, one a year, and for David, you know, that's probably like, you know, one album a year, you know, which is um, quite intense. But I will get back to your question. I think he was probably ready before me, and I think, you know, Dad passing in 2010, and then these stories about David, and then David passing, and then this song hanging around, I just feel like they all aligned, and it just felt like now was the right time. And
0: bringing your sister in?
1: Yeah, Donna was doing a bit of work... um, in language and linguistics language she went to bachelor college in Darwin and did a did a bit of work up there and then she she went to Chasm actually the conservative music Aboriginal um, studies and music in Adelaide same place that David went to she, but she Donna never David used to always laugh he said Donna you never finish things you just start and you leave so I said well she's going to finish it now because she'll come and work with me and she'll take the the great knowledge she learned from that. And and she's been great. And the beautiful thing is going back home and then all the elders going, don't worry, son, you're right, boy. You you go and do it. You don't darks us. You know, she said, you're you're the caretaker of all that stuff now. And so and what's beautiful too is having a full score of music that we can share and all the language stuff I had written in the show which well shouldn't say that to Steve and all them but I had hijacked in the rehearsal room and um said no 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 Alan and Steve it should be like this and then I'd start singing and feeling but I think that was just David connecting because I realized you know he would haunt me every night if I didn't I think it was just honesty I think this is the most honest and truthful and I've just felt safe in a room and creating with artists. I remember saying to Elaine and Kirk, ''Hey, you're nearly 50.'' And they're like, ''We're not there yet.'' And I said, ''Yeah, but I, you need to lead. You need to start a new cycle of how you lead as storytellers.'' Yeah. ''Cause you spend all your time in the mainstream embodying all these different black stories around the country.'' And sometimes that's a big responsibility for artists, of your nature. Because you're not just a storyteller, you're a cultural carer. You're responsible for that information. And I said, I wanted them to share their knowledge of that experience and that art form and share it with the other dancers. Because we only had six weeks and I thought, yeah, I don't know. I thought the more I was vulnerable and surrendered, because I had a shorthand language with the dancers, but it was bringing all the other guest artists in and then making them a part of the way we work in our clan. And that was one thing I was proud of, that they all were... Because you know what actors are like. The worst thing they hate to hear is from a director, trust me. And That's
0: when they stop trusting you.
1: That's correct. And... I've never had to use that word, and I didn't want to use that word. I just said, <laughs> "Take your clothes off. We're going to do a big ceremony." No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> that's when you're most vulnerable. Um, but um, yeah, it was just about yeah. Anyway, I, I, I've gone. My thoughts have gone somewhere else. All
0: right, let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk more specifically because you, it's all the more astonishing you can do it in six weeks. Because oh, yeah. it strikes me as that you're making something It's like a modern-day Shakespearean history <laughs> epic. You want to talk <laughs> about blackfella time, even just by whitefella time, the length of the, and the duration of the kind of way mm. time works in the piece, it's, it goes way back into days before time existed. Mm. And, but it moves specifically through the last 200 years in a very, uh, you know, sequential way. You go through, you tell a story, things mm. take place in order. Um, it's almost like things are excavated and pulled from the land and when they have life breathed into them, they become stories. So, were you trying to buy into, like, make a new Shakespeare epic? Is that that this kind of task here?
1: Well, I, I think it's because dance as a language was sort of the mother language for me. And I kept saying every day how thankful I had that as a language to tell stories, you know, like, And how much I've appreciated my dancers, our dancers in this process. And I thought, you don't have to be an opera director. You don't have to be this musical director. I just, somehow that kept focusing me into that language. And then it just became this sort of, I don't know, physical landscape space that just had live songs in it. You know, like I was trying to steer closer to the way a traditional, traditional marinated contemporary ceremony would work and what that would be, you know, like. But I must tell you the truth, I never, I am my own worst enemy if I second guess and start thinking like that every part of the rehearsal. I just really, whatever it is that day we're into or whatever, I just kept thinking about the story and... The importance of story and what this meant to mob and to my dad and it was just all that sort of truth connection so yeah its form almost birthed itself from that energy and focus of what was in the process each day. And that's why it was so important for me to let all... Even those independent artists coming. I know Brendan and Tessa, like, they're just independent musicians and they thought we were running some <laughs> Black Hillsong cult. You know, like... They thought we were like... She's Tessa's like, Brendan, the dancers are here at 8 o'clock doing Pilates and then yoga and then they've got to they've got a 9.30, one hour dance class and then they're doing vocal warm up and then they're, you know, so she was just like, that she, her and Brendan were just freaked out by this sort of discipline of this machine. And I forgot, they made me feel like, I thought, shit, was I, is that what I was running? This sort of, this cult of, um, but not that we didn't like it, you know, we didn't mind responding that, but they actually, once they jumped on and they just felt, yeah, they felt a part of it. Their contribution was amazing, and they. I just wanted them to feel like they were one of us, because I thought, whatever the process is, whatever the outcome is, I was more. I was more accepted of. Just the sharing of these artists coming together and them having. Just them all contributing. in, In their truthful way, yeah.
0: Tell us a bit about the music because there's a, it's a really complicated score in a way, the, you know. And the, the, the live music is clearly a key part of it. It comes out of, a, uh, but there's a number of traditions at work at once. Mm-hmm. How was it built?
1: Yeah, I suppose Steve Francis and Alan, well, mainly Steve and I, in the beginning, we we looked at back at a lot of David's. I've always got Steve. Now it's hard for Steve. He's a non-indigenous man. That was a good friend of David's. And sort of was there to help me when David passed to sort of look at how do we care? Lucky I, oh, I'm so glad I made David file all his programs before he died. He was like, oh, you're, you're like a mother. I should have married you. Um, I'd go in the room and I'd say, oh, Bob, you should file all that away. And, you know, um, so we, you know, we got a lot of stuff from crazy hard drives and you know like digital stuff just evolves you know so we had these mini discs and we had all this stuff anyway for some reason i wanted to archive and start looking after our own archive in bangara before he died anyway i was able to look after a good sort of um amount of his music and now it's in the, the sort of david pantry and we we um now it inspires every work we did, you know, like David's got so many different sounds of wet season, it's crazy, like ten different versions, you know, it could be, you know, months away or it could be holding in a rain cloud, but there's all a cultural story to each significance and it's really beautiful, I was good to go through all that. Anyway, I said to Steve, you know, looking at David's process and what would David do, because I know David would hate some of the stuff on this show actually, um, <laughs> but, um, I tried my best, I tell you that. Um,
0: what, tried your best to annoy him or try your best to please him? Well, I used
1: to have a few paintings in my house. They fall down that he owned. That one, oh. So I know... <laughs> I know... And he does stir me up in my sleep. So, um... But the beautiful thing, I think he'd be happy with this. Like, I really do. And I think Steve and I, would, once again, we were just thinking of him and what would he do. Tell yeah. us a bit about the
0: live component versus yeah, the look, stuff that's going Yeah, the live the stuff,
1: like, we just tried to make sure... Once again, it was about... that. You know, we, it, with dance, we have um, pre-recorded music. It's all, it's all composed for dance. Um, I, I, I still wanted that to be, like, the, the, the sonic heart of the landscape of the work. And then everything was trying to pop out from there so all the poetry the words and the songs melodically and then we were just sort of working out a template of songs and and then what instruments would come from that but steve pretty much had to go and did all of that and then he would share that with me and then he would know and the more we kept talking about um you know because david worked with you know he did session recording Live vocals, recorded vocals, working with many different song men and women around the country. Um, you know, we did Skin in 2000, which had live poetry. You know, Wayne Blair, one of his first jobs, um, working in Sydney. And he um, he did a bit, you know, we've, always, we've worked with Spoken Word live on stage. And Archie did a beautiful stuff of his poetic... Um, black stories on guitar and then meeting that with soundscape meeting that with more fully arranged music pre-record so once again it just after conversations Steve sort of brought the smorgasbord board forward and then as as he was um, as the artists got in the room and then Alan John came on board I mean we've took out four sections because you know you know what it's like it's you know, we just knew, we just went nuts too much and we had different versions of different things and, and it's just somehow, it's, it's like a normal process and it's especially, well, I don't know if it's a normal process but it was a six-week process, it was wonderfully intense and we just all just sort of, once again, they were all part of the, the creation in the room.
0: But there was also great tension to the score as well. It feels like there's um, yeah. the sound of the land is really strong, but there's also yeah. the sound of the coloniser that's as well. Right. You know, and yeah. you can feel that. And it's, on occasions, it becomes a cacophony, doesn't it? It's almost yeah. like there's too much, yeah. too well, much sound almost. Yeah.
1: Besides Justin being the physical non-indigenous actor on stage, and he said, oh, "I'll put my hand up. I'll be the token guilt white fella." I said, "Okay, come on, let's go, brother." He's said, very good at it. Yeah. Well, I said, if we have to carry trauma, you have to carry guilt, and he said, "Yeah, that's right." I'm with you. And um, then the other one was Veronique, really, the, choosing a violin as another Western sort of, yeah, the symbolism and the sound of that. Um,
0: well, it yeah. can be, it become a cry, can't it? A violin can sound like a cry, a cry from the heart if you want it to be, but it can be a gentle instrument as yeah, well. Yeah, but it's
1: also the most accessible and flexible, I think as an instrument. I don't know. I mean, I've just... or oh, maybe I could be wrong. I'm pretending like I've worked with all these things, but I don't. We,
0: we, all, we all fake it till we make it. So <laughs> some, some, some I've of, done a pretty good <laughs> job, though, for <laughs> you, thirty you, years. <laughs> you, you're a genius at it. Um, on, on, on a serious note, you talked a lot about David, your dad, mm. Russell before, you yeah. know. Um, for that matter, your colleagues like Alan and Steve, um, Steve Francis, it's a lot of blokes, but your oh. piece is very much about women. Yeah. And the f- you've clearly centred this particular set of stories, identity, the tension of people who live on in, in a more traditional environment, people in urban you know environments, whatever, but you've centred it on a young woman, you've centred it on older women. Women are clearly very
1: central to this story mm. you want
0: to tell. Why?
1: Because I've just been surrounded by them all my life. <laughs> I had a strong mother and six sisters, older sisters. Mate, they knocked that testosterone out of me. <laughs> I got, yeah, I can remember. Anyway, let's not even go there. Um, <laughs> I know when we were thinking about the name Wood Jung and being a mother and then the metaphor of that, you know, the mother in the land and that's talked a lot about creation stories and, you know, First Nations around the world, usually that continent or that massive land, space is usually, usually, you know, that sort of maternalistic. you know, it's got that female energy, drive energy and the strength of that. And, yeah, we just thought, well, putting that through and then I rang Alma up. She was on Thursday Island. She had retired from Bengara. And she said, uh, I said, can you come back down and do this work? Um, and what, yeah, and I said, yeah, What did she it, say? Oh she, <laughs> oh, she was good. She was going, Oh, I might have to come down early so I can, because she knows what it's like to, to dance on stage. And she was like, I said, Don't worry, I'll get you down. I'll put you up in a deadly place. You can have a deadly place. And this said, is in the middle of COVID as well. That's yeah, right. And yeah. I said, you can get a massage every second day and you can... <laughs> we'll have your own private teachers. and uh, it was, I was always going to look after her. Um, she, yeah, she, she jumped straight on and she knew... She was so proud, actually, because she was waiting for me to do a story from home. And she's just this amazing artist that just embodies so many representations of these characters and she's built that through a body of work of Pengarra. Someone said, oh, she's like the female Jakapura. And I said, no, she's better. In her way, you know, like the way she can tell stories. Um, But anyway, yeah, and then Alma. I always thought of Elaine, because I I worked with Elaine when she was quite young, and I worked with her and Robin Nevin and Wesley did Sunshine Club, one of my first musicals I did with Wesley. And um, anyway... Known her since she was little. Used to change the napkins with her mother. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, just the women just started to shape, and it was always, yeah, that was always going to sort of lead us, I suppose, into story. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a key moment, which is that. Um, it's not just about the trauma of what people are put through, but those who have to bear witness and carry on, and the kind of strength. And there's that moment where you can see the women moving up the slanted surface, the kind of bearing the weight of what it is yeah. to have, you know, to be the ones who are strong, uh, have to have the strength to carry mm. story and song forward it feels like a very sort of female um, weight that's being suggested. Uh, did this surprise you or is this kind of... Is this a new thing? Because I was I was struck by how much female energy you put into this one.
1: Oh, no, I think it's just accumulation of over the years. You know, I work in the mainstream and sometimes, you know, you've got to get back home, you've got to get back home to community. I mean, Bengara works with many different families from all around the country, you know, whether that's traditional, remote or urban or displaced or assimilated clans or reconnecting or people that have been lost and trying to find their way back, um, that diversity of mob and, yeah, I just, um, just, you hear through the black vine, you know, and you hear about women want leading and communities and how dysfunctional communities can be and how the women stand at the front, you know, they do all the work. so. Yeah, it was just being aware. I I watched my... Well, I didn't watch my grandmother. I mean, she died when I was seven. I remember her in my auntie Teresa's house where my dad lives on the fringe of Bow Desert, which is sort of southwest of Brisbane. I remember all the kids jumped on the back of a Bedford. In those days, you could jump on the back of a Bedford truck. And um, Dad hurried. Because it took Dad a long time to come and live in the city because he lived on the bush. He got hidden away and... He was the youngest of eight kids, and she, Granny Polo had him at 53. Yeah. and she had three different they had three, she had eight kids of three different men. And they found out that she was promised to each of those men because it's usually men that have the three or four wives where well, she had the three husbands. And so she was like the matriarch of the clan. And when the white fellas shifted them from their place, they didn't know what to do with her because she couldn't... She didn't have the representation of men because they had to go away. And uh, so my dad was around when she was fighting to be strong on her own and she hid him down in a cellar of a... she worked for a stockman. Her daughters got taken away, but they all became domestics. Anyway, bigger story. And she... So somehow, yeah, so he... I don't even know, Tom, what I was talking about. All I see is my father as a seven-year-old. Isn't that weird? How can you see your father as a seven-year-old? But um, what do you ask me?
0: It's about... Well, no, you're answering it in, uh, you know, your your characteristic way of kind of a genius of feeling... Because, you know, your grandmother hiding him away is the, yeah. one of the most maternal things possible, isn't it? Yeah, and you're is reflecting sort of, the
1: women and the imagery on the yeah, rock. And, and yeah, she, and she, she put him into that, that dark, sacred space and kept him safe. Well, she was the one that said, you can't talk your language, we're going to get in trouble. Don't do this, don't yeah. do that. Um, she just... He just saw a lot, and he carried that. That's what's funny. He never talked about black issues or anything like that with us. When he used to see Bangarra's work, he loved all the traditional and the contemporary and the traditional. When we started swearing in the soundtrack, he go, what are these fellas swearing for? You don't need to swear. You know, it was a good, he had good principle. He didn't think he had to do that, you know, because he carried resilience. I think that's what I learned. I think the acceptance of carrying trauma or a type of trauma was... Um, Really inspiring from my dad, yeah.
0: Um, the piece is about trauma but it doesn't end on a traumatic note. Just tell us about the last movement there when we go into the, the yellow wattle. <laughs> tell us about the kind of exuberance that leads and yeah. builds up to that.
1: Someone gave they were like, Stephen, that's so corny, why did you drop wattle from the sky? Um, <laughs> and I said, no, because the wattle was used in seasonal to catch uh, a certain... All the women used to, uh, In my dad's country on the river, they used Get the waddle, and that's how they fish for mullet, and um,
0: that's what the fall
1: from the yeah. The so there was, <laughs> I was like, oh, that represents something. Anyway, <laughs> good, good old mainstream. I um, <laughs> don't know if you could do that in the bush; you probably could if you sat under, sat under those wattle trees in season. Um, yeah, just certain metaphors, and then that was to sort of celebrate the sort of the aura and the presence of gurai, which is what Lillian M. Banks played and. I suppose that's the spirit of strength that helps you own and carry your trauma. Yeah,
0: but it's also a celebration as well, yeah. isn't it? There's yeah. a kind of a sense of it's not just something corny like, "Oh, we look at us, we've survived." <laughs> it's something far more profound, isn't oh. it? Because you could just connect with it straight away. Yeah, but you let you delayed it. You, you kept you kept us wa- <laughs> you know, waiting. There. Yeah, that was
1: hard. That was a rust actually. I mean I saw it today sitting down. I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe we should have done that. But um <laughs> Yeah, look, it's um it's fine.
0: Just tell us a little bit about Jacob's Jacob Nash, designer. Tell us a little bit about the stage because there's a kind of interesting set of images at work. You've got the this rock, this traditional flat stone, you know, which is inscribed with performance, yeah. with dance and that kind of thing. You've also got flat stage, which is required for your cori and for your dancers, and then you've got this, you know, the circular scoop of coal mining or of the mining presence, which is like a hanging sun above the landscape, but it's also something that's actually excavating and scouring away the land. Um, There's a set of images there. Uh, How do you see them, or how do you want them to be read?
1: Yeah, I. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. I drifted off that. Not badly. Like I was looking at you, and you just made me think about a whole series of other things. Um, Let's talk about that then. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Um, the questions less relevant. Yeah, no, no, than no. You're, no. Talking. you're talking about Jacob Nash, the handsome Jacob Nash, and Jakey and I talked about. We worked with a bit of rock form, in Dark Emu, in a beautiful section that Dan Riley choreographed, which was. Um, Rocks of Knowledge, and it was a section I was supposed to do, but I gave it to Dan. Um, You'd be busy that week, please? No, I cr- created with two other choreographers, so uh, when they didn't like music or certain <laughs> themes, they gave it to me, and I let them have <laughs> have, have the stuff that they could get their teeth into. Um, mm. And um, yeah, it was sort of Jake sort of designed that, and then we were talking about um, just having this black void space that just sort of You know, the Black Granite granite Rock is a real... um, ..based on some of the the rock placement in my country. And so we sort of looked at that first and then I said, well, let's just um, destruct it and blow it apart and have that on stage but have one central area that is the strength for the mob. Um, And then somehow just... um, Collecting all those pieces back together and reshaping to what reclaiming is and reclaiming land. So it it was a lot of sort of significance and metaphors. And so he went away, and then he brought this claw in, and I said, "Oh." At first, I wasn't that interested in the claw, but then it just sort of happened from there. And then it became a. Then I looked at it being the destruction, just a literal sort of destruction of the land and that that pulsating. But then it leaves, and then it comes back, and then. It leaves again. We're going to tie a few dances up in it, but we didn't We thought we'd dump the massacre bodies out of it, though, yeah. No, 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 I didn't. No, I didn't. No, no, no. I did think it, and, and everyone said, that's a little bit too much, yeah.
0: But it actually works kind of beautifully, doesn't it? It becomes a clock. You're talking about time before. It moves. It becomes the sun. It becomes what it is. Or the moon. Whatever you want it to be. Nick Schlieper will like you for that. Yeah. Well, Nick Schlieper's lighting is absolutely (laughs) superb in this show, isn't it? He's a a remarkably lit piece. On a a slightly more light note, tell us a bit about The Black Sheep.
1: (laughs) Oh, the white sheep or the black sheep? Well, the black sheep. Uh,
0: but the black, obviously it's all part of the one movement. Well, oh. let's t- t- talk about sheep,
1: Stephen. I don't know. <laughs> I looked at black sheep. We were looking at significance and I was just like, you know what? They are less valued than white sheep. And I don't know. I was just going, that's cool. Let's um, have the good old victim, the token black fella. Um, yeah, and then Elaine. That was song actually... Was that meant for? Yeah, Elaine was always doing it. And then we just sort of reshaped it, and then then she wanted to dance. She said, "I want to dance." I said, "Well, you don't come in for class. You need to warm up first. You can't just <laughs> rock up." And she did get on the bike for two minutes. I said, "No, that's not going to do it." Um, <laughs> but she did come in every morning. She was great. She sort of she's got a, her mum's an amazing dancer. Oh, right. Lillian, yeah, Crombie, of and. It's funny, I was like, oh, can you open up your arm? And she'd open her arm and she could go forever. And I was like, Elaine, that's amazing. And then she's like, yeah, I can do this. And I I was like, whoa, you know. It was really beautiful, the room. And she just let go. And it's funny because Wesley Unlock said, oh, my God, that's like, Elaine just let go. That's like, he's worked with her quite a bit. And he was just like, felt like she was, you know, really getting into knowing that side of her body. And I think it's so wonderful because, you know, she's such an Amazon woman and she just, I don't know, she just felt like she could just let go and connect Anyway, Black Sheep came along and then we just... That was probably one of the quickest ones we did. Like, we did that really quick and I don't know why. I think her and Bo had a great chemistry. Um, and Bo always thinks he's the Black Sheep of the comedy. So, um, anyway, it... The Black Sheep was... Uh, uh, well, The Black Sheep was always going to be my steering point of changing this sort of more theatre-based first part of the story was a little bit sort of, you know, the opera form. Yeah. And then I just wanted to twist it from Black Sheep to push it into this more abstract Bangara world. And I wanted to play with that in terms of past and present. Once again, you talk about time. Yeah. I didn't think about that, to you know, but it's true. That's sort of, it. just sort of, from Black Sheep, I just wanted to keep making sure we had enough of Bangarra language in there so it wasn't getting me trying to say, oh, I can do an opera too. It wasn't about that. It was just more about, yeah, just finding the, oh, you're always finding the right measures, you know. It's like being a master chef cook, you know. You can have all your deadly ingredients out, <laughs> but if you don't give good energy to that heat and that oven or whatever and you know, it comes out deadly.
0: Well, it's one of the measures of just how sophisticated the piece is, is <laughs> that, you know, sometimes it, 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 it it's in control of its time. It goes at the pace mm. it wants to go at and you can feel like the years stretch mm. out and you can feel the years condense. Yeah. But you can also feel that it's ra- it's aware of its range. You've got people who, who we would call actors, you've got people who we might call singers, mm. you've got your Bangara mob there, you've mm. got musicians, you've got different bodies doing different mm. things. And on occasions... They're all. They are all doing different things. On other occasions, they're all one. Yeah. Did that come late in the piece, or was that early?
1: No, because I, I. I always thought as a, a performance thing we do in Bangarra, when we, you know, you can have shocked, black, victimised subjects on stage, and I always go, it's, it's not good enough for me if you cannot, if you cannot cleanse it, and give it a sense of hope. And. Bengara do that as a clan. We do ensemble stuff quite a lot, and that's just to try to unify their energy and spirit as one. Because I really feel that's the real heart of our clanship, you know. And so, some of those I always wanted about three or four ceremonies in the piece yeah. that sort of held the spine of the structure of oh. the space of the piece. Of the piece. Um, yeah.
0: Um, let's just talk a bit of, a bit about what it's this journey's meant for you, the Bangara journey, because, you know, obviously this is the last show. Why was I sitting forward? Have you been noticed? No, this, oh, no this is just you sitting back, taking the questions, I, yeah. I, I just um, didn't want to fall asleep. I, uh, no,
1: not badly, not badly, I've just...
0: Yeah. Um, you've been doing this for a while. One of the fascinating things you just alluded to is that you bring... Have you brought dancers from all over the country into your room? You know, Noongar people, Murray people, Torres Strait Islanders, from all over, you know, people from Broome. So, to a certain extent, that national um, Indigenous identity of the last 30 years has been happening, if anywhere, in the Bangarra Room as much as anywhere else. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the state of affairs? I mean, I'm talking about national black identity. We haven't come perhaps as far as we would have liked to in that time. I'm talking about the reconciliation journey in particular. You do, you know, now you're getting young 19, 20, 21-year-olds coming through as part of your yeah. next set of auditions. Do you detect a different energy, a different um, a different compact emerging in Australia? Oh, talking yeah, about you but... as a politician here, you know?
1: No, no, that's fine. Like, we, we talk about this all the time at Bangarra. You know, we go, what's our existence in the mainstream and what is the value of our voice in the performing arts landscape, you know? Um, and we always make sure that our voice is through our stories um, and we try to focus on that and we notice if we're if that's our focus and then then you the issues are going to rise closer to you of what's really happening on a larger scale outside because you're still dealing with generations of humans you know and, and young mob come but the digital world is an interesting one, because it's another wonderful force distraction for a generation. It's another, it's another social poison. So you fight for sovereignty or whatever. It's always going to be this, you know, hundred thousand steps, thousand year step forward and hundred thousand year step back. You know, it's like blackfella land management, water, <laughs> sky, and earth, you know, the, the tide shift, the climate shifting, everything's shifting, um, and the crazy thing I think we all get obsessed with is wanting to understand immediacy, and that's what the digital world is, it's immediacy, so it's reflecting why we in supremacist, this power, western supremacist system, is collapsing, and we're just living in a generation and a time watching it for, We all want to understand why and the reasons. They're going to be convoluted. They're going to be contradicting. They're going to be man-eating its own head. You know, all this change, the human power. I'm sure creature and environment are having sacred meetings and saying, <laughs> how do we extinct? Humans, like you know, like really, it must be a t- century where they're going to run the world. Um,
0: well, a virus would be a good place to start. <laughs> well, that's
1: what happened. That's <laughs> <laughs> so you got on my secret. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, no, I don't want to start talking like this. But all good. Um, but you know, like I look at like this generation. it's Funny, we were doing Unipon for thirty years of sixty-five thousand. And we have a dancer who was born in 2002 in the company. And I just go, oh, my God. And so we've got a, We show everything previous of the company that might have been a couple of decades, you know, and they see... They want to know who Russell was, and they want to know Jakapura, mob that put all the footprints into Bangara. And then we're doing IPON and I pulled out a $50 note. I had a fifty-dollar note, and I said, "You know, you're not upon them, but these six young ones, they." I said, "No, no, be straight up now. This is where you can feel safe, and we're we're all about sharing knowledge." And six of them, I oh, know. Anyway, we, I gave Fran the fifty-dollar note, and she said, "Oh, he's our first black author. He's on the fifty-dollar note," and it was really interesting um, because one of them quickly got their phone while we're talking and Googled, you know, and they were like. Yeah, and he also said, no, you little shit, I saw you Googling there. Like. <laughs> I said, see, immediacy, you're all a historian in one minute, you know? So, interesting watching. For me, it's the social distractions that come in for the generation. But the mob that are doing, there's always mob on the top, like, doing work. There's so many more people graduating from being black lawyers now. And, you know, like, this you know, you have the academia black world. You have the lawyer black world. Um, just tell me, over three decades, I've had every representation on my board. Don't you worry? Yeah. Um, and you, you know how hard it was. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then you see, you know, Uncle Ken White, You see Linda Burney. You know, they all I just want people to look after them too. You know, I just hope they got safe backyards. You know, because I know what it's like. They go in and they've got to try to beat the Western system and be just as good. At the same time, they've got to marinate those cultural principles for change to, you know, to challenge white philosophy, to challenge social philosophy, you know, like, you just want to make sure that they're not going to get exhausted at the other end, you know, so... Because you've got a lot of mob that have set up some great work. And I, I do, in my sense of, you know, <laughs> optimism, that, you know, that work is cared for. And those mob leading forward, they're doing good work, you know. And there is... Oh, look, you know, I'm a republic. I want to, you know, I want to have the first black Aboriginal president in 50 years of that. So that'd be great. Um, but, you know, you, you even just look at the, the whole Commonwealth and you're just trying to work doesn't make sense you look at the recent war you look at men and power and greed and you just just the humane aspect of society um is in a really um interesting place yeah and
0: it's not just us as a human society i'm conscious that you know we're we're putting on this work and making this work at a time of flood Mm. we've had the we've had fire obviously this is an aspect of land yeah. Land, land um, breathes that way. But yeah. nonetheless, we're in a time of stress, aren't we? Yeah. And making work in this context become... Yeah, yeah. Every time you talk about land, you're talking about a land that's under assault in a way. And mm. here in SA, you know, David and Open Land and so on, we've, we've got water issues, we've got fire issues, we've we've got problems to solve, haven't we? Um, does the weight of it ever get you down? Oh,
1: yeah, of course it does. I mean, it, it all, you're always constantly thinking about it and, you know, you're realising how privileged you really are you know, compared to what what's people and people struggling out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm always, as soon as COVID hit, I was, well, we were straight into the communities to see if everyone and people saying, Oh no, what are we going to do? Everyone's going on digital. We should have a, we should have a, <laughs> have our face on digital and say, I don't care. We need to, done show nothing for four months. We, yeah. We're going to go into sacred cave. We're going to reset and we're going to ask ourselves, what is the value? And, and most people did that universally. So maybe it was one of the good things that came out of COVID. I well, don't know.
0: I, you know. Shutting down is not always a bad thing. No. And you talked before about immediacy and all this kind of thing in Western values is that we want everything we want now and we want more of it. Mm. And sometimes the bravest thing is to do less or even nothing. (laughs) You know, actually, it's, it's almost brave to... Shut down. I'm, I'm conscious that we're coming to our last yeah. 10 minutes, so let's just ask a couple of sort of tidy-up ones there. What's next for the piece? What's next for Wojong? Where does it go from here?
1: Oh, that's it. Adelaide? Yeah, we uh, don't know. No, it's not, it's well, not it's gonna so go hard because my contract finished at the end of the year and, and Frenny and I have been contracting in 23, 24, 20... Well, I did, actually, I stayed out of it. My whole ego stood away and I was like, <laughs> no, you, you go on and do it. You, you know, you've, know, And it's been great. Like, having her the last 18 months, she's been able to... Yeah, you know, just her. She's got a wonderful sense of leadership, which is great. And you know, she's come from a dancer to a creator. And anyway, but are I,
0: you expecting this to be the end here in Adelaide for the past? I, I don't know.
1: I, don't, I was going to go to the Ian came from Perth Festival. We're supposed to do Perth Festival yes. before Adelaide because of COVID, we couldn't go. There's a there's an inclination for that to happen and. In not next year, maybe 24. The tricky things with the specific program. It's a cast of 26, oh, no, and yeah. bringing all those black divas back together is hard. <laughs> They're all going to be in Hollywood soon, you know. <laughs> Too expensive. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, you know, we'll see. Yeah.
0: And what about for Stephen Page? What's, what's next?
1: I'm going to have a... Oh, my son's about to have a... My daughter-in-law my son, my, well, my daughter and son. So I'm about to be a grandfather on April the 2nd, so another... Not he's got the first time. No, no, I've no, got, I got Mila and then another girl's coming along. Hunter's stuck, here. he's stuck with the women, it's good. Mm. Um, so I might just take a little bit of time off. <laughs> but you know what, I'm so nervous. So you're committing to grandparenting, oh, are you? Well, you're going to be the oh hands-on? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, good, all right. I break all the rules, Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: But,
1: um, uh, but creatively? Oh, yeah, look, I've a couple of, Hunter was the first one that took my money and started up to get an ABN to set up a production company. <laughs> and I was like... And then I read this book, uh, article. Oh, he wrote me this because he writes and he wrote me something and I realised it was all my ideas that I'd talked to him about three months ago. So uh, he's... Um, that's OK. I've just <laughs> got to let him own it. Um, in the best way. Yeah, there's a few projects. Um, mm.
0: It's very moving that you say that Hunter's taking your ideas.
1: <laughs> well, I don't mean he's taking it like he's borrowing them. I hope he's doing well with it. Well, that's given
0: awesome. that you started this wonderful yeah. hour talking about your father and, and the language no, no, and no. legacy, I mean, it's very moving that Hunter's taking in his own way that journey and you can feel that yeah. the astonishing, um, the absolutely astonishing impact the Page family has had on this country is continuing. <laughs> um we're enormously appreciative of your time. We're enormously appreciative of the work of art that's taking place at the moment over here. Thank you for your time this afternoon, Stephen.
1: Thanks, Nick. Tom. Thank you. Oh. you. need your own talk show.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've built up that applause over a long period of time. Tomorrow, our festival forums... <laughs> Neil and Rachel will hear about, will there, please join oh, wow. us, Neil and Rachel on stage, submitting themselves to interrogation about their own artistic <laughs> practice, please join us. That's
1: great.